This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today's guest is from... The great city of Chicago is somebody who likes to eat food and lots of it. It is definitely a good city. Mr. Adam Zerwinski from Sidebar Insurance. What's up, brother? How we doing, man? Good to see you guys. We're good. You know, we were the, sort of the preamble to this, Kyle, because so, you don't know. You weren't involved. Uh, I know nothing. I'm never involved. No, but it was the um, it was the pictures yesterday on Facebook of, or the going back and forth about the Chicago style pizza and yes. all of that stuff. See, dude, I'm a New York, I'm a New York guy, man. I, 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 and when it comes to pizza, I'm not debating that like one of them's better than the other. Well, although, I thought we were, I thought that's what this was. So I mean, I, I'm going to go eat you all day. Every day has the opportunity to throw in my two cents and it's, it's not even close. It's, it's New York all day. Well, you probably sit down to pee too. So <laughs> <laughs> only in the middle of the night when I can't see. <laughs> there you go that sounds about right <laughs> now, and it's weird adam because we've got like this pocket of stuff from chicago that is like made its way down here now and i don't really talk to a whole lot of people from chicago in the tampa bay area which is weird most of them are from ohio or west virginia but you know now we have portillo's has multiple locations in the bay area how is we've, that place by the way never uh, been Marginal? i've never been I've never been to the original one. Okay. But yeah, I've 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 been to it and I'm I'm gonna go ahead and give it two thumbs up. <laughs> they will they will soak your beef sandwich in gravy before presenting it to you. So that's how I, that's how I normally take my beef sandwiches. So <laughs> yeah, think, absolutely. Yeah. You gotta get them wet. Just dunk it in. And yeah, hey, the little Portillo's big thing is, is they, they have a really good chocolate cake. So you need to check that out on top of uh the chocolate cake is okay. a big deal there. You know so. what's crazy that I, that they have I also am a fan of, although I'll go ahead and just say right out front, they are not traditional Mexican style, but those freaking tamales they have there are good too. Hmm. They've got like a fluffy, it's almost like the corn muffin mix on the outside instead of being like the ones you would get in a, in a Mexican restaurant. But those things are pretty good. I'll, I'll have a couple of those added to the old Uber Eats order when they when we bring it in. So is there another one of those besides the one on 60 there? Yeah, That's Temple Terrace. That's random. Yeah, by USF where there's nothing going on. Right now. <laughs> yeah. University Mall. Huh. Okay. It's crazy. All right, Adam. Yeah. Enough about the Chicago food. Let's talk about you, man. I'm sure everybody that you know is listed knows who you are already. You know, uh, that's because incredible. you're all over the well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us, guys. Super excited. Yeah, my name is Adam Serwinski. I'm an insurance agency owner. Obviously, you mentioned it, Sidebar Insurance here in the Chicagoland area. So, uh, that's kind of me. And you don't get a physique like this without being from a place that has good food. <laughs> so that's, that's how we do. So that's why you see it everywhere. There you go. Well, listen, give everybody a little bit about your background and then talk about your agency some. And I'll be thinking about what I'm going to ask you to follow up while you're doing that. We have prepared absolutely nothing. No, we never do. People, by the way, if you think any of this stuff is staged, you're only kidding yourself. We just get on here and let it rip. <laughs> we just having a good time, right? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I'm actually, my agency is about the same age as yours, Dave. So we started about four years ago, Scratch, 
prior to that, I was an attorney. I practiced law for 10 years. I practiced in-house for an insurance agency, litigating cases that they had. Then I went to work for a private firm and litigated cases on behalf of individuals who were injured, both on work comp, personal injury. Um, and then I went to uh, work in-house for a tech company. Um, you may have heard of it, Uber. Um, and I managed their litigation for about six months. And um, it wasn't, no matter what happened in law, it wasn't really a great fit. I loved the work. I loved the law. I loved helping people and taking care of them. Um, but I also loved being a dad and I loved being, you know, not running courthouse to courthouse and deposition to deposition. And so when I got to the kind of point with Uber that I was like, this is not going to work for what the family life I want. And one of the things I'd say about Uber is I caught a huge entrepreneurial bug when I was there. I saw young people really running and gunning and running their, their cities as businesses, right? And that part super intrigued me. And so when I left and said, you know, I walked in on Friday and just said to decided like, this is going to be, I'm going to give my two weeks. And they said, this is going to be your last day. I said, right, what am I going to do now? And so I looked mm -hmm. out and talked to a bunch of firms, had a bunch of options and said to myself, why am I going to do the same thing I've been doing? And the biggest part of me in my childhood is my dad was at baseball games. He was a fireman. He was able to coach my kids' teams, you know, coach me rather, and my brothers and my sister. Um, I wanted that. And that wasn't happening in the legal world. So I said 99.9% .9 of my customer clients, when they came into my office and I said, what insurance do you have? Said, I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. What kind of coverages do you have? I don't know. Well, let's talk. Let's bring that in. And they bring me inevitably an envelope that was unopened that came from the carrier that they just threw into a folder. And so we went through. So we would go through it at that point. And to me, that seemed like a hole in the market. And so I've been out ever since selling insurance policies, giving people explanations of cases that I handled, uh, cases I won, cases I lost. Um, just explaining how the insurance came into play in real life, from a real life perspective. What a crazy way to be able to sell, man. No I kidding. Mean, got to be really powerful at the point of sale if you have those kinds of conversations. And you know what? I think it's, I think, you know, it's, it's funny because I don't know. I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but I think there's a lot of insurance agents out here there who want to be attorneys or, or want to be accountants, right? They give advice they're not really educated to give or licensed to give in many cases. Um, but it's interesting to see you go from that attorney side to the agency side and, you know, probably in the long run, not take much, if any, of a financial hit for doing it and getting nothing but better quality of life. Now, starting a scratch agency, you're not going to walk in and be printing money, you know, right out of the box. But, you know, by the time you retire, it would be interesting to see because it's fun. You know, a lot of people don't know this. And I, I don't even know. I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but I actually was going to go to law school. And I had passed the um, LSAT and I had been accepted to the University of Alabama School of Law as well as Cumberland School of Law at Samford University there in Birmingham. And I was running a grocery store at the time, making well over $100,000 a year. I was 22 or 23. And I sat down and looked and thought, you know, by the time I go through law school and then I have to go work all of those hours that – I'm already working, but I'm already making this much money. And if I save this much and compound interest, I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. And I didn't go. I talked hmm. myself out of going because I realized that there were other ways that if you want to go out and make money, that you have control over your destiny doing that. But you don't have to sell, sell out your moral compass and your family values to do it. And it's really that simple. You know, it's funny because a lot of times you know, people think that lawyers are just these, you know, gods who know everything and they make tons of money. They just walk out of law school and turn on the spigot and it's a bunch of gold coins. The fact is, is no, it's a grind. I mean, it, your product is your intellectual property, what do you can deliver, what you can create, what you – but there's never – I mean, you actually have a better long-term business pro process when you're actually doing insurance than you would as a lawyer because – you can't sell your book, right? I can't sell my clients to someone else as an attorney mm -hmm. because they want me. I'm the product, right? And so there's a natural cap to that. Um, and the fact is it's a lot, most cases, it's one time and you're done, right? So I have that one car accident case or I have that one work injury. I'm not going to see that person for two, three, four, five years. Um, now there's definitely perks. There's larger margins. Um, and, and when I transferred into the, the insurance industry, I thought kind of like what you said, like, everyone's going to buy my insurance. I'm going to tell them why they need it. I'm going to tell them a case that like it meant something in. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. makes a ton of sense. And then you get like 30 no's and you're like, all right, well, maybe it's not that easy and I got to keep going at it. So um, what do you think the biggest obstacle was? Because I was going to guess, if you wouldn't have said that, 
I was going to guess that you probably did pretty good as far as getting them to yes, but maybe it was tougher to get in front of them or something like that. But if you're, if you're getting in front of 30 people who are telling you no, uh, getting in front of people is not the problem, apparently. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't really the problem getting in front of people, especially the early times, right? We, we look at the low-hanging fruit, the friends, family, relatives, people you had relationships with. I think the first part that was really difficult is a lot of people are like, he's going to stop this in a month, right? He's going he's gonna to wake up and go back to be a lawyer in about a year. Like he's done the work to be there. Um, I know he's saying all these things that this is actually what he wants to do and it's a passion of his and all those things, but he's probably going to wrap this up and I don't want to have to move my insurance once to move it again after that. Um, so there was a little bit of hesitation. The biggest headwind, and you guys probably can advise, is the appointments. Everyone, all the carriers looked at me sideways. How are we going to mm-hmm. give you an appointment? You've never sold a policy in your life. You're a lawyer, so you're probably going to refer your clients to somebody else for big law, bigger losses. Like, how does this fit? And they would try and force you toward, and then they would try and nudge you towards these aggregators, um, which being a lawyer, and I looked at some of the deals the aggregators were presenting, wasn't all that entre- enticing. It wasn't just really that attractive. Um, and I couldn't justify the long-term cost with the, the short-term benefit. And so that was one of the, the, the other big headwinds is like, I had no product to slang, right? If you have two products in the personal lines to or three products in the personal lines to offer, and two are or only one is a real brand name customer everyone knows. That's a hard thing to push through um, and to make a difference in a, in a, in a meeting. So, so what'd you do? How'd you get past it? So, um, you know, it was just I think it was consistency. It was trying to find and letting people know that this wasn't short term, um, and you just kind of keep it going out there, just like anything else. Like the, at IOA sixteen, I said this. Um, there's a video out. Sydney Rowe put a video of me out from IAOA 16 in Phoenix, where um, they were kind enough. They run, they had me on stage real quick. And I said that being a business owner is lonely and frustrating and you want to fire yourself every day. And she took that part and she left out the rest. And I said, but being, you know, in the battle in the river and the rock, the river wins, not because it's stronger, but because it's persistent. And that's really what it was. Just get out there, take every no. A friend of mine told me this. Every no is one more step close to the yes. So just mm-hmm. take that no and say, okay, who's next? Um, right. And that's how you work through it. It's just persistence. It's interesting. And it's something that I talk about inside a killing commercial when we're looking at doing um, sales or telemarketing scripts and things. But I read the book and I've changed a lot of what I do just in the last you know few months because of it. But I read the book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And when he put his whole thing out about how no is a word that when people say it allows them to subconsciously feel in control of the conversation. And, you know, instead of, you know, trying to avoid no, we should embrace it because it's actually getting us closer to what we want. You know, if we are going to actually use that process and I'm going to tell you what, man, it is a, it, it is an attorney you would appreciate this too. But if, if you really understand how to use no when you're soliciting people, you can back them into a corner that they can't get out of. Um, whereas with yes, you probably could. So I'm going to give you an example. You know, one of our phone scripts, I tell them all the time, two no's to a yes. You, if you can get one no, you can probably get to yes. But if you let them give you no, boom, boom, they're going to subconsciously feel like they're controlling the conversation when in reality you are, it's a Jedi mind trick, yeah. right? So it's a different type of no though, than like, then, then no, you know, I'm not going to do business with you. It's, it's questions. That yeah. You, I think it allows them to feel in control subconsciously, right. which eliminates the need for them to tell, you no to feel like they're in control of the conversation. See, that's a funny point because when I was doing the office supply gig, we were trying to get people to say yes, to get in the habit of saying yes. And I don't know if it's just because it's a, a, a different type of sale, um, you know, using that strategy, but it worked. I mean, we, we would, I would ask them leading questions where they would just say, yes, yes, yes. And then, so when I asked for the sale, the answer was yes. It was just, they were already in the habit of agreeing with me. So it was like, it's like the cartoons where they're saying each person saying a word. And then all of a sudden the, the other person changes the word. And then the person says what they wanted them to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got how you got you booked for 10 cases. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All in on that toner. Right. Exactly. But no, it's, it's definitely a different it's so I'm interested. I know we've talked about this before, but I'm interested as to your example, because it's a completely different concept than what I was always used to back in the day. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's simple. You've got somebody's experience mod and we're going to lead with workers comp like we do at Florida Risk. And, you know, let's just say the mod's a 1.4. You know, mm-hmm. we know an average mod is 1.0 because that's why it's 1.0 is your average. 1.4 means you're paying 40% more than the average person in your peer group because they're paying one if they're average and you're paying 1.4. Not hard math, people. I'm not a mathematician and I can do it. So you can do it. Even I can keep up with that. Yeah. So anyhow, you know, you want, that's what you're going to use to your advantage. If you've pulled the experience mod ahead of time and you know what it is, so you get the, you get the person on the phone and say, Hey, really appreciate you taking my call. I know you weren't expecting me. So I promise to be brief. I just have a, a really quick question for you. Are you happy that you're currently paying at least 40% more than your peer group for your workers' compensation insurance? How are right. they going? Whether you say yes, all right, dude, I'm out, man, because you're not my client anyhow. They're going to tell you no. And right. so then when they do that, then I'll typically say, hey, just as a quick follow-up to that, has anybody ever come out and done an audit of your experience modification factor to determine if that number is even right, like in the last three to five years? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Immediate follow-up is, well, because you're paying at least 40% more than your peer group and nobody's ever come out and audited your mod to make sure it's correct, wouldn't you agree that it would make sense for us to get together so that we can show you how to fix this with our software. How do you say no to the third question if you've said no to the first two? You have no other choice, right? It's like if you can get the person on the phone and you can get the first question out, you're going to book those appointments almost every time. And the people that are in Killing Commercial that are using that script and technique are just crushing it right now. Well, that, that's the mm-hmm. thin the thin part of the wedge, right? That's what I, I strive for is, is looking for. What's that thin part of the wedge? Just starts the conversation and starts thinking about, wait a minute, maybe I'm not getting the best result, right? I'm comfortable where I'm at, but maybe I'm wrong in my comfort. And if you can get the thin part of a wedge, I mean, it's funny because carrier reps always tell me like, hey, what do you need from us to sell more of our business? And my response to them is thin part of the wedge. Just give me objects and things that I can do in your coverage. Give me things that are in your coverage that I can go to a person and say to them, do you have this simple and like, just use your commercial one hired a non-owned auto. Like I can't tell you how many attorneys operate without hired a non-owned auto. It's a simple $200 add on. It costs nothing. It actually makes the carrier more money, the, the, the agent more money. And they refuse, they just refuse to bring it up because they're afraid of losing the other part of the bomb. Right. Hey, do you have hired a non-owned auto? Or what are you going to do if one of your, you know, one of your assistants runs to Walgreens and gets in a car accident and says the first thing I was just running for my boss. Right. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I actually had a claim scenario like that in real life, and it's the one that I use anytime I explain hired a non-owned auto. It was a homeowners, a pretty good-sized homeowners association that we wrote, and they had the hired a non-owned auto on the policy, and the lady that had uh, was the treasurer or whatever was leaving the neighborhood to go and make a deposit in the bank, and next thing you know, boom, T-bones somebody. And what do you think comes out when you're being interviewed? What were, where, 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 where exactly were you headed, Mrs. Smith? Right. Going to the bank to make a deposit for the HOA. Oh, the HOA. And, you know, here you go. Right. And so that is low-hanging fruit. It's amazing to me how many times, even on, even on some good-sized fleets, you'll see symbol seven, no eight, no higher. No eight or nine. Anywhere. And then it's also not an endorsement on the GL. It's like, what are you doing, people? I've seen, I've seen David hit thin wedges a number of times, <laughs> typically from about 60 yards out. <laughs> and he thins it, huh? The 60 or, the 60 or 56. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, That's whatever. what my personal umbrella think. plans, right? So somebody's in the next tee box. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah but, you know, I think that's interesting because – the game's changing, man. You you know, the same things. I don't know if it's I, – I, the sales game's so weird because it, it's like the purest form outside of MMA. Like to me, it's like one of the purest forms of natural selection. Right. And if you're not evolving as you're going along, like the way – it's funny because I actually – I was recorded on Josh Lipstone's podcast where he asked me – he interviewed me about my book in – we were talking about something. It was like the very first episode where I was lining out my process for how I sold satellite dishes. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking to myself and I get done. I'm like, Holy crap. That's the exact same thing I do today. 
It's just a different product and it's had a little bit of a modification, but I had created a a sales process around the problem that I was trying to solve. And it was crazy. And I mean, I made a lot of money really early in my adult life when I wasn't ready to make that kind of money. I want to say, number one, I was living in West Virginia. So everything was like one tenth of the price of anywhere else in the country. But I want to say like from March to October that year, I made something like 65,000 bucks. And then I just took like the rest of the year and half of February, all the way to halfway through February off before I ever did anything to work again. But it was, it was crazy because it it was the first time I realized if I can solve a problem for somebody and I can create a process around getting the information I need to not only identify the problem, but show them what the solution is going to be you can make a ridiculous amount of money doing it. And truthfully, it's no different than what we do right now. We get the information on the experience mod that they provide us. We run it through our software that we use to to, uh, audit that. And then we go and we show them the solution to the problem and what we're going to do to fix it. That's no different than the cable interest surveys. I had them fill out where I was asking them, how much do you spend to rent videos? I love your cable interest surveys. They were the best. (laughs) Yeah. You got to make sure that you have the water trembling though, before, you know, they go in. So you got to have that, got to have the Jurassic Park plane and the subwoofer underneath the table. That was such an epic move. (laughs) If I ever were going to, if I ever were going to toot my own horn, that, that was a really creative idea that I had. Do you know that story, Kyle? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you haven't read the book yet because it's sitting over here with your copy and never split the difference that I haven't mailed out in five months. Um, but no, it, when I when I was selling the satellite dishes, we had this massive home theater showroom, like huge. And so when the people would come in, I had had an edited uh, portion of Jurassic Park. So where I, when I was preparing the paperwork, they were sitting there watching in HD because HD was not even close to being mainstream then but the freaking every time the dinosaur would take a step the water would bounce on the movie and then i'd have a cup of water sitting in front of them and it was bouncing in front of them in real time (laughs) it's the real deal right there you're just jamming your knee under the table or what no it was the freaking vibration from the dinosaur steps just like what was causing in the movie how is that why would, why would me banging my knee on the table make that authentic? I, I, I don't know, dude. Get it timed out. No, no. It, 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 it's funny because I actually had a, a, a gentleman I know who's fairly successful told me the story about he was a young kid. I think it's the entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like fault solving for a, a problem or finding a problem, solving for it. He made money by going around and selling to neighbors, painting, he's a, he's a kid then, painting their apart their their addresses on the curb. So he would walk up to people and say, yeah. hey, it's easier for fire departments and different police officers to find your home if they paint the number on the curb. So I'll you pay me X and I will paint your number on your curb. So that way when they're driving by, they can see it. And that's how he made money. I found a problem. You know what? My HOA will not stand <laughs> for that. They, You know what? Uh, down here, they actually flipped that into a, a fundraiser for the fire department. So the fire department was the one that was going around saying the exact same thing, trying to get donations, and then they would paint your uh, street number, your house number on the yeah. on the car. And then they would just bang their knee on the bottom <laughs> of the table. They and just scream like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. If you came into my neighborhood and you found a paint on my curb, Ethan, Dude, Ethan would if you sell me citations, your ass will be locked up until twenty thirty. It's funny, I actually have a son named Ethan as well. So that's it's, my kid's yeah. gonna get a kick out of that. Yeah. So what's what's the agency look like? What's the breakdown? Is it personal, commercial, a little bit of both? What do you we got? We started going on? in personal lines just mostly because of the volume, right? And because we get appointments there. Commercial appointments from a scratch agent who never sold policy A. Not nearly generally going to sure. happen in the commercial realm. So we started, we're probably, and we're still probably around 75% personal lines. Um, the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is though, is that there is a dearth of, of people who can, who, well, so one thing I understand is most attorneys do not understand. They're never taught in law school how to be business owners, right? So the idea of insurance, errors and omissions policies, business owners policies, work comp policies, they understand the policies they litigate and the portions of the policy they litigate in, but the holistic approach is not necessarily always there. And so we do a lot now with focusing on professionals, doctors, dentists, lawyers, and helping them understand all of the risks. And in those situations too, they're muddy, right? Because a lot of times they put their personal car in their car in their business because they think that's a 
tax write-off for them or they'll write off, yeah. you know, <laughs> and so we kind of help them evaluate that risk as both from both sides. So we do a lot of errors and omissions. We do a lot of business owners, small bops, stuff like that. Um, and then personal lines is really kind of our bread and butter just because we've been in it for the full four years. Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I think doctors fall into that same boat too. Um, they just, and I mean, it doesn't mean they're bad no. people or anything. It's just not what they went to school for. So it's I, the first firm that I worked at, we had just acquired a firm that did nothing but uh, lawyers professional nationwide. And then they since spun out and they're on their second or third iteration now of what that looked like. But it always blew my mind that they could sell professional liability. It was 100% over the phone, um, just a complete transactional deal. But they were very successful at it. Like they're they're a couple million in revenue at least. Um, and I just it I, I was always intrigued by that because it's so foreign to what I do and, and what I did back then and what I would have perceived a successful insurance producer to be. But man, I think about now that was just phone calls and stuff happening. Now we're selling full blown middle market deals over you know Zoom meetings and right. And everything else or quote vids. And it's just crazy to see where all the technology um, has gone in the in, in the last two well, decades. Just to circle back to your point earlier about how you're talking about like solving for a problem. Well, a lot of times these the people in the professions, it's very difficult for them to admit they don't know something because their intellectual property is it. That is the basis. They've been good at doing lawyers have been good at doing homework for their entire life. They give presentations, they write papers. That's what they do. And so that intellectual knowledge is what they trade on. Same with doctors, same with dentists, same people with a lot of advanced degrees. And the problem is, is nowhere along that path of 30 years of education or 26 years of education did anyone sit down and say, here's what insurance does. Right. Here's how this policy works. They don't do it in driver's ed. They don't do it in college when they're trying to prepare you. They don't do it in MBA schools. You're supposed to just figure it out through talking to advisors. And there's a lot of advisors out there who just pass a PDF and say, here's it is. And that first thing you look at is price and say, OK, I'm good to go. Right. I trust what you say, as opposed right. to like you talk about. I mean, I use quote vids on every one of these and every one of those attorneys comes back and goes, I was sweating because I didn't know anything about retroactive dates or, you know, hammer clauses or innocent partner clauses and, and the ways that I can lose my coverage because of something somebody else does. All of that is foreign and it is a little off-putting because they don't feel comfortable admitting to that they may not understand all of the widgets because that's their whole trade and practice is that they know it all, right? And if they don't, well, now I'm not doing my job, right? I'm not very good at it. So we try and arm them with that info. So how much of an advantage, you know, was it bringing in your knowledge as an attorney, obviously you have these different cases that you can cite in, in terms of actual things that happened, but w was there anything else? I mean, um, you know, that you, that you kind of came out and were like, okay, this is a distinct advantage for me. I'm going to exploit yeah, it's, this. Well, it's, it's an advantage. And it's, it's also a, a, something that keeps me up at night. Cause I, every time I talk to a client, like I'm worried that they're going to assume I gave them legal advice, right? If they know I'm a lawyer, sure. so I disclaim it in all my apps. Like, Hey, you did not get any legal advice. That's a good, that's a, that's and, a pretty good and point. And so we disclaim, so I disclaim it and I tell them, look, I'm not going to be advice. Like if you want legal advice, you got to find somebody else. If you want to know, this is all, you know, general examples where I've seen it come into play. I think a lot of times too, it's a little off-putting because it's scary, right? Like if you, like I, I, one of the big ones I use as a selling tool is uninsured, underinsured motorists because people don't know what it does mm -hmm. and how important it can be. And I'll tell them stories of like people who have been rear-ended or hit while they're walking, crossing a crosswalk and the person drives off and they don't know who ends up hitting them and they've got all these medical bills. Well, that's an uninsured motorist claim potentially, right? As even as a pedestrian could be a claim uh, as long as you can establish contact and involves a motor vehicle. Um, so you have these opportunities, these situations that arise. And a lot of times it's a little bit off-putting because they're like, oh my God, I don't, I don't want to mm -hmm. think about it happening to me or that won't happen to me. I got to distance myself from it. So those were hurdles. I think the other opposite side too, is, is like, if they come to like, I deal with associations from now and then or condo policies and we'll review the decks. Cause we'll say like, we just had a situation with a client, not ours came to us, came to me because of my background and said, the decks say the, the, the uh, building has the duty and responsibility to maintain and repair. But the decks also say that the individual location has to insure it. And the carrier said, I'm not covering it because it's their duty to maintain. Yeah, you had a duty to insure it, but it doesn't mean you have to fix it. So then their insurance declined. 
And it's like, you know, sometimes we can get ahead of that and just say, hey, look, this could create problems for you um, because the way the bylaws are set up. So that's when one of the add-ons. So we, we advise a little bit of associations just on, hey, this could be a red flag here. This could be an issue about betterments improvements. Oftentimes they're not written very well or they're confusing. And so you can just kind of highlight that stuff for a minute. It gives them a sense of trust at times. Interesting. You know, I don't think there's ever been a time that I've closed a deal that I haven't spoken about at least one and possibly two claim scenarios in that conversation. I think you have to, right? I mean, I, I think it just kind of bolsters your, your case. I mean, insurance is sold by story, right? Because people want to know, when is this going to happen? Right. Oh, well, here's here's where sewer water exactly. comes in. Or here's where, you know, here's where the workers' comp employer's liability. I can't tell you the number of times I had clients of mine who were work comp clients injured, get a hold of their of their employer, still employer, even though they're making the work comp claim, their certificate, and then look at the employer's risk limit and call me frantically saying, wait, there's a limit on this. I got a bad injury. I'm coming close to this million or half a million they had in employer's liability. Am I done? Am I out? Mm-hmm. My boss can't tell me what it means. Is that going to be his responsibility now or her responsibility? You know who else can't tell you what it means? Half the age 100%, right? It. 100%. And, and, and the attorney's practicing, I, you know, because I flipped out when I heard, I saw it as, give me the cert, I'll go look it up. And then you look it up when you're practicing, you figure kind of, you figure it out. But no agent has ever told me there was any class in law school that said, this is what employer's liability does. Here's what that limit's for. But you better believe I'm, I'm ramping that up to a million every time I get a client's, you know, I don't care what kind of business you're in, I'm giving you a million. I'm not going to give you the 100,000. Yeah, plus you should have an umbrella right over top of it anyhow. So, hundred percent. Here's my question: it, What I mean, have you ever seen any good, like not good, but I mean, good examples of employers' liability claims in your legal days? So it was one of the most un, frequently unused, right? So the big one I think of is the loss of consortium, right, in a death case. The attorneys often don't even know that that's where the insurance is coming from, right? As opposed to the direct GL. Right. It's not coming from the GL. It's coming from the employer's liability. So you'd see those um, loss of consortium, loss of care and affection for disfigured or disabled people. And then obviously deaths on the job. Right. Those those would be the big ones. And there did I see him? Sure. Could I tell you, like, this is the difference in how they handled it? I couldn't because I never handled it from the defense side and costs, et cetera. But I can tell you that, you know, where it came from or, you know, you you assumed where it came from, because a lot of times it was, you know, bundled policies, comp and. I think it's interesting, you know, what you just said regarding uh, some of the attorneys not even knowing what it is. That may be why you don't see as many claims is because people don't know where to go for it. Right. Or they don't even know it's 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 actually a viable claim. Right. They just kind of say, okay, well, I'm the wrongful death claim. But there's an additional claim available to the spouse or to the people who are reliant on this individual who's passed or been disfigured or severely injured. It's it's rarely it's rarely assumed. The one thing is the the other thing we see is just people not knowing that they comp in Illinois, not having workers comp is technically a misdemeanor for any business Hmm. who has employees. It's a felony to knowingly do it. Is it ever charged? Right. No, probably not. I looked it up. I have it on. I have the statute on hand, so I can show it to my customers. Because um, I don't want you to be the first. Hey, by right? way, I get... told you about it. So now you just went from a misdemeanor to a felony. <laughs> exactly. I'm enhancing the penalties. No, I I wouldn't go that far. But I think it's important that you show that you go the extra two minutes, right, Dave? Not to give you a spot, but it's important to be extra about it. Yeah. Right. No, you need to. I mean, it's. Um... It's interesting. You know, some of the things that I see, too, to your point on uninsured motorists here in Florida, uninsured motorist is is, or workers comp is primary on any kind of an auto accident. But as you know, workers comp is only uh, legislated to take care of your medical needs and your indemnity to get you back to the condition uh, or as close to it as they can in in Mm -hmm. work. Right. I um, so because of that, most agents will tell a client, hey, don't worry about it. You don't need UM on your commercial policy because workers' comp's primary in Florida. Low-hanging fruit, man. You know, I can then go in and say, well, do you have a company policy that clearly prohibits anybody who is a non-employee to ride in the vehicle at any time? These people are taking these vehicles home. What happens when they have to stop by and pick up little Johnny from Carline in the HVAC van? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, we've got a problem there. But I was talking to an adjuster one time, and that's not where the claims come from as much. It's that the attorneys are suing for pain and suffering under the UM because it's not covered by the comp. 
And so right. now there's a delicate balance because a lot of the carriers don't even like giving you the million UM. And if they'll give you that, chances of you getting that same carrier, if they're also writing the umbrella to give you umbrella over it too, are very unlikely. It, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And I that I've always just recommended it. I never had a reason, to, you know. I never knew the, the the backstory until there was an account that I wrote, you know, four four or five years ago, and I asked the underwriter what the what the deal was with such a huge uninsured motorist claim, and that was the answer was it was pain and suffering because they lawyered up, and not only did they get the comp benefit, but they were able to get the benefit under the the UM as well. Yeah, hmm. it's it, the, the it's funny because. Uh, in Illinois, at least, the statute, the word the workers' comp works is it's statutorily required that it's statutorily required, but it also statutorily caps them. Right, they're entitled to time off of work, medical payments, and a settlement at the end for the whatever level of disability they're entitled to. Right, and so those are the coverages they get. Well, if those other coverages like loss of normal life, pain and suffering, and other things are enforceable or are triggered by something within the accident or something happens they're not bound by the workers' comp anymore, right? They could, they could potentially seek that outside of there. And the, one of the things that we've actually seen with COVID is, is actually there's, a, there's been a lot of movement to try and pull these things out of comp and make them personal injury claims, right? And get them into lawsuits so they aren't capped by the statutory requirements. And so it's been, it's been interesting just to watch from afar. Uh, fortunately, none of my clients, knock on wood, have had any of those type of claims. But um, it's that type of like discussion and long-term discussion that needs to be kind of handled. And one of the things we do too is a lot of these professionals don't even think about BOPs, right? Like it's just a simple BOP for a small law firm, 500, 700, maybe 1500 bucks, depending on what level of interest they have in the property. And they say to themselves, well, if I ever get sued for anything, like if someone trips and falls in my office, I'll just handle it. And it's like, wait a minute, what do you bill an hour? I bill 750 an hour. Fantastic. Bill one hour. You can pay for an insurance policy. It'll help cover up to a million in loss and indemnity. Yeah, and by the way, you know, let's just go ahead and throw out a little three letters called ALS on the business income, right? Right. If you're going to write a BOP and you get them actual loss of things on the business income, I would buy a BOP for that, if nothing else. On top of the fact that some of the carriers now are doing BOPs based on billable hours, as opposed for like those professionals, like if you're billing by the hour or patient patient hour, you're, you're treating patients by the hour, they'll allow you to adjust that actual, that losses, loss of income make it hourly it has been so long since i've written a bop that i don't even know but i heard that they were starting some of the companies were starting to make them auditable and in history they they haven't been most when the bop first came out it wasn't an auditable policy so you know there were many times early in my career where i would go into a company that i thought i was going to have a huge opportunity with only to find out that they were riding the same bop that they had for you know 10 years ago when they went into business and now they're a multi-million dollar company but yeah. i mean are you seeing that are, are they auditing bops now is that is that accurate it hasn't been it hasn't been hitting on the on the on the risk that i'm writing right I, I can't say that that's not the case for retail i can't say that's not the case for you know shopping centers and malls like that i, I would imagine you can't ignore the risk particularly right right now with the level of how easy the ease it would be technologically to send out and say give us your numbers right and do the audits. Um, it's not generally happening with a lot of like the law firms and stuff, but a lot of the policies I'm writing anyway from an errors emission standpoint are re-asking those questions at Renewal anyway, right? They're wanting to know revenue. They want to know the opportunity the, the opportunity for risk um, or loss. Um, so they're asking those questions on Renewal and it's it, at that point is being audited. And the different lines, not on Bob. Interesting. So what do you uh, what do you think you're going to see coming out of COVID at this point? I'm interested. I mean, you opened that can of worms now, so <laughs> you know, obviously, you've been studying it. I haven't been paying. My, my number one observation, and you know, again, it'll show that I'm Captain Obvious here, but um, I think that the commercial real estate market's going to get absolutely crucified. You know, if you have leased property, because a lot of people aren't coming back. You know, they're not. They're either going out of business or they're going to embrace the remote workforce the way that it is right now. So I'm actually sitting back thinking, let's see what happens. This might be a good time to throw some coin at some buildings. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty with it, right? Especially because we don't know the timeline, right? Like how long is it going to be this way? And what's going to happen? Are we going to get worse, right? Is it going to be more restrictive as we go forward to really try and hammer this down? Um, 
you know, I don't know. I think what we're going to see is a lot of innovation. There's a lot of cool companies that are operating in kind of a WeWork model that it's different. So like Instant Group, I have a friend that's working for the Instant Group. They're, they're doing some really interesting things. These are groups that are allowing people to look at leases differently, use the lease and the space that they've taken out and find ways to share it and therefore share costs, structure their companies differently. Like if it would be um, a lot of companies are going to what are called hub and spoke, right? So you have one big hub that's like kind of like the face of your agency. And actually then they spoke out and they have local little local work areas that their employees can go to to still get away right because i'm making grilled cheeses every day for lunch i'm going and answer you know every 9 15 or 10 30 or two o'clock i'm getting dad i'm on a break i got a screen break what are you doing so getting employees out of the work out of the home a little bit i think is going to be something companies are going to look to do and or at least offer that um, from an insurance standpoint, I think it's even becoming more important that these companies that, that we be that we be really active to talk to these clients about. Okay, if you have multiple locations, you got to insure them all because they're all exposures for you. And if you're not working with someone who can give you in, insight into that or help you through the process or understand, you know, the contractual obligations you're signing in your lease, right? Because these leases are going to get they're going to be revamped. Um, and also, I think the policies are going to be revamped, right? Like, there's a lot of landlords who are going to be saying like you know, uh, guaranteed payments. Like there's battles going on between landlords and tenants right now that we would never have expected before. Oh, it's brutal. It's brutal down here. I just saw that the uh, Mitchell's fish market there that was in West Shore is getting nailed by that property management company that really? owns West Shore Mall because they owe them so much money. It's going to be interesting. I'll, I'll follow that litigation because it's been hmm. pretty clear in the business journal. I have two points. Number one, um, if I lived in Chicago, I would not be making grilled cheese. I would be stuffing my face with some of the finest pierogies on earth. Uh, <laughs> and then number two, you, know, I, you brought up a good point, man. I mean, if with all of the negative crap that's go, that's going on out there right now, and I don't, I don't care what side of the aisle anybody sits on. I really don't. I'm not saying that because that's the politically correct thing. I, I just don't care. I know what I believe in and what you believe in is your business. And I'm not going to allow you to rent space in my head. End of story. <laughs> you know, there's enough up there going on. And, you know, if you want to come in, I'll let you have a look for free and you'll leave on your own. But, um, you know, I think that it has forced us. One of the positive things out of all of this is if you can step back and just look at some of the ingenuity and the, the, the way that people are continuing to pursue the American dream through the innovations that they've made, you know, it's pretty impressive, you know, because we have had to transform the way we do virtually everything. Your hand. It's nuts. And so I, it, it's funny because um, probably at least once a week, maybe even twice, we'll get Uber Eats because we're too busy. We don't have time. And if we're not doing Whole30 and planning everything out and eating like on a regimen, it gets sloppy in a hurry. But the other night, we're going through and I'm like new restaurants and there's like five new restaurants, right? One of them was a burger place. Another one was a grilled cheese place. Another one was a chicken. Fi I'm going somewhere with this story. Ch another one was a chicken finger place. Another one was a melt shop, whatever. Okay. And I noticed that they all had the same address. Okay. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, do we get like, is it, they're just a big circle of food trucks parked around in a circle at this lot or something, because that's what it was all food trucky type food that, that these places had on their menus. And so I started digging and doing a little research. And when the, um, when the Uber eats driver got here to the house, I called him and I, or I talked to him. I just said, I got to know what's going on. It said, because it looks to me like, you went to the Black Rock Grill parking lot. He goes like, oh, yeah, that's where I went. I was like, well, wait a minute. There's like half dozen restaurants that all have this same address. They're all operating out of Black Rock Grill. He goes, yeah, it's called a ghost kitchen. He said it's only for Uber Eats and mobile meals and these delivery services. But essentially, Black Rock is a concept where they have one of these ridiculously hot stones that comes out and you cook your steak for yourself on their stone well when covid hit that model kind of sucks you know right. right so what they did was they said you know what we can use our kitchen space to create this concept to cater to the people who still want to have food i mean so many needs are met in that solution and that's the kind of stuff that excites me is to see how people can be so creative to come up with solutions like that that meet multiple needs with one thing it's, it's pretty cool yeah hmm. 
Oh, it's funny because like we 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 work in an industry that like shudders at innovation, right? Like, I mean, if you see a new type of risk, they're like, "Well, I'm gonna have to take a pass until we get you know ten thousand of these." Um, so it's, but it, I agree with you hundred percent. Like, um, it's really been fun to see the innovation. They talk about the fact that like every recession has born innovation out of it because it's a necessity. And we, unfortunately, right. fortunately for us, like we live in a society where that thing can flourish. Like those things can happen and not be stymied. And it's super exciting to see that, like what's going to happen and to think about ways that it can, that people will be able to be, will be able to innovate. It was, I was, we did during COVID, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine actually did podcasts similar to what you guys are doing, but just to focus on local businesses, similar to Gabe O's walking with Gabe. It was kind of in that vein. And we wanted to, because everyone was so helter skelter and so kind of haberdashed and, and what they were doing and knowing what small businesses were doing. So we just started inviting small local businesses on to talk about how are you addressing the COVID to make people feel safe and comfortable? What value mm -hmm. are you providing in your neighborhood and how can people take advantage of it? And it was every day at lunch, it was called Chicagoland Chats. It was 30 minutes. Butch Zimar out of Chicago and I were working on it together. And we did 30 minutes every day. We did 115 since uh, April 13th until this past week. We're rebooting it now because it kind of got a little bit stale. But you would see businesses, and one of the people on there was like, we're seeing businesses like restaurants who can get tons of milk and there's milk shortages in the area because everyone's hoarding toilet paper and milk. They're just turning their commercial relationships into selling those products because there's a need to keep themselves alive. And it's, it's funny that, that, that happened down here too. Uh, the Maple Street Biscuit Place right down from my house was selling like paper towels and toilet paper, like all of the stuff that you couldn't get. And it's like they weren't even being like – Profet I would. I mean, there's such a thing. Dude, it turned into the wild, wild west. It's it was right, nuts. They were just like putting it on a Facebook page. Come get your yeah. toilet paper and yeah. grab a biscuit. Come in, have a biscuit, and we'll give you a roll of some Angel Soft. That's what they. So that's what it did. It started becoming. If you come have breakfast with us, we will give you. <laughs> we're coming for like three breakfasts a day. It's so crazy. Well, and that's the great part, right? Like that's the innovative piece. That's the part that when I was when I was at Uber at my last gig, like that's what sparked me was like these guys are like innovating and they're changing the ways. And so when you talk about like Chris Langell and like video quotes or, you know, some of the other things we see out there that's innovating and taking us in a new direction to like deliver better service and solving the problems we're talking about. That's what I love about this stuff. Like that's what's super exciting to me. Um I had, I had an account that I wrote years ago. Um that was a big furn a retail furniture chain local to Tampa, but throughout Florida. And I learned more from the guys who ran that company about just looking at every single penny and seeing what you can do with it. And so, you know, the majority of the furniture, depending on what the price point of the furniture is you're shopping for, but you know, the majority of it's going to come in and knock down format from overseas and it's packaged with cardboard and styrofoam and all of this other stuff. And then they assemble it once it gets here and take it, get it out to the showrooms and all of that. Well, I never, you know, number one, before I represented them, I never would have realized what an expensive bill it was every month for compactor poles because of the styrofoam. Because the amount of styrofoam that they would use could only be compacted to a certain point, and so they had a huge amount of it. So the way that they got they solved that problem was that they cut a deal with this guy who was you know over in Lakeland, like forty five minutes away, with some in kind work. But he had invented a machine that was a conveyor belt that had teeth that you would put the car uh, the um, styrofoam on there it would go through the teeth and chop it up and drop down into a heating element and it would uh, collect there and it would drop it would go all the way up this conveyor belt run through this whole process and it made what amounted to be this 25 pound block of clear completely melted and recooled styrofoam okay and it looked like a massive cow patty that was probably 25 30 pounds and then, so what happened is they ended up paying the machine off in a year and a half by, by they paid some money down. And the rest of it was this guy would then come around and pick these, uh, this uh, recycled styrofoam up because he used it. And so they turned what was a massive expense. Eventually it was a profit center for him.
Now, what this guy did was he would take that big patty and he would take it over to his facility. He would melt it down again and then they would mold it into the size of masonry blocks and they would ship it over to Korea and they built houses with it over there. <laughs> and we'll be right back with how it's made after a fourth Number one, you think styrofoam, how, what do you mean? How is that going to be something good to build a house out of? That stuff is ridiculously strong when it's melted down to its purest form like that. It's crazy. Well, and the insulation too, right? So the heating and cooling of the of, of it, right? So the ability it has to do the, those properties, I could, I mean, would imagine it'd be pretty impressive. But it's that type of ingenuity that I'm excited to see what comes out of this. I think people are going to have to take new looks at things. I think down in Chicago, I do worry about some of the people that own condos or in, in long-term leases down there in the in the downtown Loop area because imagine all the people now who are like don't have a commute anymore. Right. That was one of the things that drove me out of, of, of not only drove me out, but was one of the hangups I had with being an attorney is like my my office was down in the loop. I had a great view. But guess what? I had two hours a day to get out and mm-hmm. back either on a train or in a car. Well, now I've got an eight, nine hour work day. There's two more hours. That's 11 hours. And I still have to sleep eight. Right. So like, where does that all go? Well, now we don't have a commute anymore. So how does that work for, um, you know, the, everybody's work day and their work life balance and their, you know, the quality of their work? Um, mm-hmm. I just, I think it's, it's a really exciting time. It's obviously a, a scary time as well, but that's where it, like being an entrepreneur and having that mentality of like, look, I'm just going to fail forward and figure this out really comes through. And that's, that's, uh, that's like, again, that's what I signed up for when I kind of launched this, uh, this agency. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I wanted to have a commute again. <laughs> I worked at home long enough that the old 10 paces from my bed to my office wasn't going to cut it. And so I ended up getting office space and, you know, I take advantage of that time. That's when I just clear my head of all of the crap, you know, going and going to work and then again, coming home. I mean, my commute at this point is only five minutes anyhow, but I have to, I have to be able to get to the office to actually focus. It's just not going to happen because my wife works from home too. So it, it just doesn't work with conference calls and everything else. It's funny. That's the same way. It's the same way we operate right now. We don't really have the choice, right? So we've made the decision that everyone's going to be remote, but um, I'm the exact same way. My office is two and a half minutes from my house. I drive there. I clear my head. I have my time where I'm focused. I can kind of joke around with the people in the the office park that we're in and we kind of have a good time and, allows me to focus and kind of heads down and, and be in the insurance mode. And then I come home and I have the, the kid time, but now it's, you know, that's all, you know, that I use the simile, like, I feel like we're at a picnic right now and there's no divider plates. So like your jello's all up in your hot dog bun, right? Your just chips are everywhere. It's just, it drives me nuts when I go to a picnic and have that. I'm like, just give me four plates. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I, don't, I gotta have <laughs> dividers. Um, but that's what I think like we we're, we're dealing with. And I'm, what I'm excited about and what I'm somewhat hopeful about is it's like, there's going to be fixes to that. Like this is, this is the test case that's going to allow us to improve so that we can really think about what's important to us and what do we want to put our time into? And is the commute make sense or having the commute local, that hub and spoke idea that we've mentioned is like, you can have an office that's 15 minutes away. It doesn't mean just because you want to get to an office space doesn't mean you have to be an hour in, in the city, right? Like how does that work out for us in the back end? Um, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of uncertainty, but that's going to be the fun part to figure out, right? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, you came to the insurance industry from another industry. I came to the insurance industry from another industry. Kyle came to the insurance industry from another industry. What advice would you give to anybody who might be just starting out, whether it be as a producer or whatever their role is in an agency, if they came in just flying blind? Yeah, no, that's a great one. I, my number one thing is stay humble. Like the one thing that I love about everyone I've met in the insurance agency that I have built and developed relationships with, and I'm going to shout them out because I just, I'm so, um, so like, I mean, Nick and Dave, uh, over at IAOA, like let a kid who was one year out, try and pitch them a podcast. And Nick and I did podcasts for a while, just because it was my goal was just to like, mind scrape the people that I respected and learned from when I was on there. Um, and so, and they were open to it. You know, like Danielle Smink and CLI given me an opportunity to, to try and build and develop my agency and her team with Heather and Albert and all the folks over there. Um, Stacy Cholas, uh, um, Clagis, 
um, Gabo, some of the people you've talked to on this thing are like on my speed dial because I don't know everything. I don't care how long you're in this industry. You don't know everything. You don't know how to get uh, navigate stuff. And it's their humility that's really kind of led to me um, growing. And I think I come to them asking questions and they come to me sometimes asking questions. And that humility is really what I think allows you to keep going. It's the person that like tells you they know everything and demands the most ends up being the one that people don't necessarily mind seeing and fall on their face. It's that humility that allows people to really bind together and asking for help. And the other thing is, is like get ready to be super frustrated and to fail and to like, I, I will never forget. I was sharing the story with a, a, a guy called me wants to be a producer. And I told him a story and I said, look, this is going to happen. You're going to walk to a house. You're going to sell a policy. It's going to come back. And then when you go to bind it, it's going to jump $700 and that will be a deal breaker for you. And you have to decide, am I going to cram this through and just hope they don't realize, or am I going to go back to them and say, it's not the right time. It's not the right fit and basically allow them to go on with where they are. And I chose the latter. And mm -hmm. I remember it being a Saturday morning and walking out of the house, like basically tearing up in my, like tearing up about it, like the fact that I was really frustrated, spend all this time. This is a family that I knew welling up, walking out and having them come out and see me upset as I was getting ready. Cause they wanted a piece of paper that I had in my file. So they could go back and make sure their policy was still enforced with the old agent. And like that, like there's no more humbling an experience than having that from someone, you know, you're going to see for the next 10, 15 years, but that's hmm. what you're going to get. Like that's, that's an entrepreneurship. That's the salesman's grind. It sucks at times. It's the worst, but it's also awesome because you control your destiny. You can keep at it. You can get up the next day and get back at it. I think that if there was a way to scientifically engineer a baby that was half Gabo and half Jennifer Clages, it may be the perfect. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know. I don't think Gabe's uh, wife or, or, or Clages's significant other would be too thin. I was too very careful in how I chose those words. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we just do it like at a donor. We just have like one of those. You know, we could just eat, talk to each of them or whatever. I, I agree. Those two people are unbelievable and incredibly sincere and just truly transparent and that's a credit to them because they're super confident in what they do and they're awesome at it and well and that's the thing man you don't have to be a jerk to you know there's a lot of successful people in the insurance industry that are jerk you don't have to be and i and i think that's the that's the coolest thing and i, I do think that the 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 thing that makes iaoa specifically so powerful is the fact it's based on a social community online so even though you're not rubbing elbows with these people, it's a daily interaction. Whereas if you're in another organization like the Big Eye for your area or PIA or whatever else, you might have a monthly meeting or a quarterly meeting or the annual conference or whatever. But there's really nothing that's being done to foster. And I, look, this is not a knock against those organizations. We need them for their lobbying power and everything that they do. But that being said, there's nothing in the industry like it where it's basically fostering the social aspect of our industry. I mean, it, in real real life, you're basically at innovation every day, you know, because I go out there and I meet people that I have never physically met in my life. We've had people on the podcast I've never met in person before. I've literally met zero people in person on the podcast. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you've, I've known them my whole life because we've interacted online. You know, we'll go back and forth. And, and I think that's cool, man. I think that the people that are genuine about it. Now, listen, I'm also not naive in that some people prey on that environment as well to feed their own ego and make them seem, you know, bigger than what they really are. But at the end of the day, those are minimal. Yeah. And I hate to rain on their parade, but we all know your game. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is, right? Those people show themselves. I think we, I, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself because I don't know if we talked about this before. Yeah, we, were talking about, we were talking about it before we recorded. The most, I, the, this is like the one thing that I, I, I've kind of like, if I have one credo, I think the smartest person, the funniest person, the richest person, the most important person never tell you how rich, funny, sport, important or smart they are. Like they just are. And the moment you sit there and boast or, tell, or try and put someone down or exert your dominance, you show yourself, right? Like there's a way of putting it out there that's a little more crass, but like you show yourself and we all know what you just did. And if you came with hat in hand and said, how can I help you or how can I back you? you would be gaining so much more from karma and so much more respect and responsibility. Like 
look in the mirror and take that with you. And so anyone who's starting off, like, know that. Like, there's no, you. if you have to put somebody down, you are just pointing, like, you point a finger to put somebody down, you're putting four or more back at yourself. Like, it is magnifying yourself. And that's one of the things, the most, and the most impressive people that I've met in my entire life, whether as an attorney or as an insurance agent, I have never been more impressed than when those who are humble, the, how much they give, how much they share, how open they are about what they're doing. Um, and that's that's a credit to them. And I think that's what shows why they're so – like they've gotten to where they are, right? That they've been able to succeed as much as they have. Um, I, I bring that down to something very, very simple. <laughs> For those of you who think you're uber successful, we're all still right. working. I mean if we were that successful, we would not be getting up and hitting the grind every day. And, you know, in sometimes some days longer than ever before – but it's a different place. I'm operating out of a place where I'm happy doing what I'm doing. A lot of what we do, we do for fun. But, um, you know, I think I think that that's the interesting part about it is that it, it, we're all still working. We're all still on a level playing field. Nobody's better than anybody else. And the people who um, the, the people who think that they're they, they need to hold themselves in higher regard or whatever. Or again, we could beat this horse all we want, but. Cut it out, man. And I think Seriously. too, no one really understands the, the 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 owner's position is really an isolating one, right? Because you have you have responsibility to your employees, and despite what most people think, like you care what happens to them and you want to see them do well. You want to see them for because and it's a reflection on you if they don't. And so having that like being your number one mission and goal, it's great to align and talk to other people who are on that same mission. And that's what IA opens opens up. It's not just how do I write this policy, but it's also how do I keep this 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 employee happy? How do I engage this person and make their life a little better? How do I structure a system or a compensation package that makes people want to stay? Uh, and I train them well enough where they can leave, but they wouldn't, right? Like that's the that's the the secret sauce and the special sauce that I think IOA founders, whereas like those other groups you mentioned, their goal is elsewhere. Their goal they can't really. They don't want to seem like they're helping one person more than the other or benefiting one over the other. I always just like, look, you, you invest to what you, you get returns on what you invest. And that's, that's, that's where I think the real magic happens. I agree. I mean, look, it's, it's a great place for us to interact and be able to freely exchange as much information as we want to. And I will always invest time in there because there are a lot of people who have invested time in me as a result of being in there. And, you know, you, you can't can't forget where you came from, man. No, I think that's the biggest mistake, right? I mean, that key of being humble is like remembering where you were and where you started because you aren't. You know, whether you're making $2 million in revenue a month or you're grinding out, you know, 15 homeowners policies and you're doing all you can, like we all started at zero it's to some extent. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't, the people before us did. And we just got to remember that, like we can be back there real quick. We can uh, and and where they are, you know, you can somebody probably hand it, put a hand, you know, held a hand out and helped you up. So might as well build the bridge and help them get over it. Last thing before we get you out of here, man, because we're at an hour. You're in Chicago. We're in Tampa. It's Thursday. Bucks Bears need yeah. a prediction. Oh man! Um, if the Bears could score negative points, I think that they would probably figure it out right now. <laughs> um, it's like a quarterback. <laughs> we Nick, Nick Foles. Foles. So Tom Brady's kryptonite. Yeah, Tom dude. Brady's kryptonite from the Super Bowl. Chris Langell. That's right? true. Um, uh, Eagles, big Eagles fan. But it, dude, I they find so many rakes to step on like it's like a cartoon like yeah, this, like elmer fudd trying to trace bugs bunny they just step on the rake it hits <laughs> him in the face they turn right steps on another rake hit him in the face they cannot get out of their way so i have little to no confidence which is great because then if they win i'm surprised and if they lose i expected it so i'm gonna say it's gonna be tom Brady's <laughs> gonna go. get the, the it's back on the track i think it's gonna be we're gonna get like 10 points in the fourth quarter and it'll be like 24 to 10 or 35 to 10 there's there my guess is. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Bucks, man. They're pretty high-powered offense right now, but they're a little bit banged up, and it's a short week. Banged up. Their uh, their defense looked a little sketchy last week after looking pretty strong for a couple weeks in a row. So we'll uh, we'll we'll see here. Should be should be definitely not pleased with the secondary last week. I know, and that's always that that's been the issue. It's not been the line or the linebacker. The linebacking core is ridiculous. It's like one of the best in the NFL, but. They are. They really are. I think um, uh, John Lynch and Rondé Barber are cringing. <laughs> in our, in our well, I would say this. The Bears, when you watch a Bears game, 
versus when you watch every other team in the league, it's a different game. So be just expect, you know, a, like a half shot of Novakine. They do have two amazing comeback wins this yeah. year, like back to back weeks. Teams that is... were like like the Lions, which I just feel bad for Lions fans in general because it's it's almost as bad as being a Cubs fan, um, which I am one. And the 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 Falcons, and I at least the Cubs have a World Series in the recent yeah, history. I, I'm still shaking after from when I see uh, Roldis Chapman. Uh, it's still. Uh, a, a quake to me but and then the, they won against the falcons right and the falcons basically give away games like it's halloween they just haven't figured out that's only one yeah. day a year as opposed to the rest of the so <laughs> great well listen man you've been generous with your time i'm mm-hmm. sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people who would want to contact you to ask questions or reach out to you tell them how to get a hold yeah, of yeah no i'm really grateful and i probably i left someone off of my one person on my list i want to go shout out to is wes over at uh west anderson over agency va dude Sweet dude. Almost Sorry. as good a beard game as Kyle. Almost. Close. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. But uh, yeah, yeah. give him a quick shout out. And then, you know, I, I, to be honest, like, I, I would not be here if it weren't for the support of my wife. So I don't want to leave this. Like, we ha- there are some of my wife is an amazing woman. She has allowed me a ton of stuff. And so I would be remiss if I didn't mention her and all this. Um, and grateful to you guys for sharing some time. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be getting to know you guys. I respect the hell out of what you're doing down there in Florida. Um, you can get in touch with us. You can touch with me. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on, uh, you can reach me at Adam at sidebarinsurance.com. Sidebarinsurance.com is our website. You feel free to reach out to me. I try, uh, it's one of the most exciting things is connecting with agents, finding out what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, and trying to find ways to do better. Uh, We all make mistakes and we're all trying to do the best. Some will, some won't. Who's next, right? So, uh, that's really it. That's that's how you can get a hold of me. All right, brother. Well, listen, I know that I've got kids that are busting at the seams to start making a ton of noise. So I'm going to wrap it up. Adam, thanks again for being on, man. Really appreciate it. Look forward to letting everybody hear what you had to say. Lots of good stuff, brother. I appreciate yep. it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you all doing this stuff. I've been listening to your podcast since it launched, and it's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks, thanks. man. Appreciate it. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.